0: Okay, good morning, good morning, Bokar Tov. Mirza Hashem, it should be a good morning for Am Yisrael, for Yisrael, May we hear Besoros Tovos. Should hear good news, good tidings. The hostages should be brought home. Soldiers should be reunited with their family. And Mirza Hashem, we should celebrate a sweeping, sweeping victory. I want to thank our series sponsor, our Muni sponsors for the year, Avi and Bella Morgan, in memory of our Dr. Brian Gabin, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanzer. We remain very, very grateful to the Morgans for their generosity. This morning is also sponsored for the Refua Shlema of Yaakov Ben Sara. Should have a complete and speedy, painless Rafua Shlema. Reminder, right after Shear, everyone's invited and urged to stay. We'll complete all of Sefer Talim several times. The more we stay, the easier it is to give out, and the more who can, uh, who can join and, uh, and participate. Okay, as always, we're going to share some Emunah emails, Amunah stories from you. Thank you to those who share and uplift and inspire all of us. And then we'll continue and hopefully finish today Rav Druk's Sicha from now a little over a month ago about the time we find ourselves in. We've been talking about the Kol Kol Yaakov, the Yidaim Yidei Esav, when our Kol is the Kol of Yaakov, when we can express and we can pronounce and we can proudly promote and practice our Yiddishkeit, then the Yidaim de Esav, the hands of Esav, cannot, cannot When? It's either or. They're incompatible. They don't go together. That's what Chazal understood. We saw last time, that's what Yitzchak observed. Yitzchak says, this doesn't add up. This doesn't go together. Something's incompatible here. I hear the kol, kol Yaakov. It sounds like Yaakov, but these hands feel like Esav, and they don't ever go together. They're incompatible. They don't go together. So Chazal understood that when the kol is kol Yaakov, when we are talking like Jews, behaving like Jews, acting like Jews, practicing like Jews... Proud Jews, then the Esavs can't lay a hand on us. And when we are ashamed and assimilated and embarrassed and hiding and defensive and apologetic about our Yiddishkeit, when our Yiddishkeit is muted and silenced and we lower the volume on it, then of then anti Semites, no, pounce. This is your moment. This is when they jump. So, our mission, part of our responsibility now, we saw that the battlefield is, of course, the battlefield. Gaza, the north, the north seems to be heating up even more. It's very, very scary. We daven for all those in the south and the north and all throughout the width and breadth, and for Jews around the world. Right now, we daven, and those are front lines, and those are battlefields, and that's where it's all taking place. But we know what really informs the outcome of that battlefield is the other battlefield, which is the shul, the base medrashim, wherever we are. With every tehillim you open with every s'chus that you earn, with every meritorious behavior, every good choice, every improvement, every effort to be a better us, every time that we live with Amuna, when we welcome and invite and see and feel Hashem in our life. This is His world, and He's waving right at us, and He's saying, I'm here. And maybe some of us were failing to notice. We were living and coasting through life, either not seeing Him behind the struggles and challenges, or not crediting Him with the wonderful good and the triumph and the success and the success, and I was recently reading—I don't remember where—I was reading somebody who was uh, talking about Amuna. They were talking about a friend who was going through a very, very hard time, and the friend came to them and confided in them all the difficulty and all the challenge and all the circumstance and the hard time they were having, and they said two words: "Why me? Why me?" Yesterday in the parsha class, we spoke about Sar Gidolbanim versus Gidolbanim—normal raising your children challenges. And exceptional challenges. When the Gidl Banim only gives you tzar. When you put your heart and soul into raising children and all you got out of it was pain and anguish. So there are people that go through a hard time and the person said, why me? A health challenge, a financial challenge, a relationship challenge. Whatever the challenge, why me? So this person answered his friend and he said, how old are you? And the person was, I don't know, say in his 40s. He said, let me ask you, your first 40 years of life, your first four decades, how were they? Things were pretty well. Everyone was healthy. I made a living. Life was good. So, did you ever stop and say, why me? I got a new car. Why me? I got a raise at work. Why me? I made money. The stock did well. I sold at a high. Why me? I got my annual checkup. The labs, everything came out. Looked great. Looks great. Why me? You never say, why me? When everything's going well, you say, of course, me. <laughs> Makes sense? Makes sense. I take good care of myself. I work hard. I earn a lot of money. I'm smart. I'm I'm ambitious. What do you mean, why? Of course me. You never say when your child gets engaged, why me? Why me, these simchas Hashem? Why me? (laughs) Good news. Somebody's expecting So You never say, why me, when everything's going well. So if you never said, why me, when everything was going well, why should you feel it's okay to say, why me, when you run into a wall? You ran into a challenge. That all of a sudden is why me? Yeah. If you thought you deserved one way, then who says. Whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. So if you didn't ask why me when everything was well, then don't ask why me when you're struggling. All of it. All of it's not about you. Of course, it's all about you, but it's not about you. It's Hashem. Hashem is the one who delivers the success and the breakthrough. There are many people as smart, many people worked as hard, many people went to the same school, many people put in the same effort. And they didn't have the outcome you did. So should you be proud of the work you did? Yes. You worked hard? Absolutely. Be proud. But realize you're the junior partner, the senior partner. It's all Hashem. And you should say, why me? Hashem, you're amazing. I don't deserve it. I'm undeserving of all of your kindness. Why me? I'm undeserving. But thank you. Endlessly thank you. Thank you for a blessed life. Thank you for a good lab report. Thank you for a good doctor's visit. Thank you for a good paycheck. Thank you for a good... Why me? Really? I'm Taka. I woke up this morning, I opened my eyes, my legs work, my hands work, my lung. Why me? Somebody else didn't wake up this morning. Somebody else woke up and things aren't the same. I'm sharing with you these Amuni emails. Why me? Why me? So never take too much credit. You don't deserve all the credit when it works. And don't ask why me when things don't go right. It's always all about Hashem when we lean in, when we surrender, when we submit, when we recognize, when we invite, when we welcome, when we engage this relationship, this conversation, when we talk to Him and we hear Him talking to us, when we express that kol kol Yaakov, that Yiddish Neshama, that Jewish soul, the Jewish soul that's crying out and calling out, the Jewish soul that knows and feels it's part of something so much bigger. I think one big change for Kalah Yisrael since October 7th is that there were Jews, even practicing Jews, observant Jews, Orthodox Jews, Torah Jews, but Hashem was missing from the equation. They were just going through motions of life. I got to do my daven, I keep my kosher, I keep my Shabbos, the next Yontif coming up, I put my kid in the right school. Motions, the motions, the motions. And October 7th, and it shook us, and it startled us, and it's still doing it. When we wake up, in the middle of the night, later, in the, early in the morning, when we're finally supposed to get up, and we keep checking our phone, we keep seeing faces and names, and young ages and boys, and it's endless, it's endless, how painful, how painful, and we feel I'm part of something so much bigger than myself, I'm part of a people, I'm part of a nation, I'm part of a purpose, I'm part of a story, I'm part of a destiny, this is so much bigger, until now we were just thinking, where's my kid in to camp, what are we doing for Pesach, do I have the latest fashion, did I try the latest charcuterie, do I have the whatever was on our mind, not to say that people's lives were so wonderful. They didn't also have difficult challenges to think about. But And now, people are still doing all that. But it's also in the context, there's something bigger. There's a Hashem, and this is His world. And we have no one to lean on other than Hashem. And the whole world's a narrow narrow place. And the main thing is not to be afraid. And we are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. We are people of faith, the children of people of faith. It got us through Slavery of 210 years in Egypt. It got us through the Inquisition and the Crusades and the Holocaust. And being the children, people of faith, the children of people of faith will get us through. We are maaminim bnei amminim, and this is a time of a gut check of Kol Kol Yaakov. You know, it's not enough to just see that news, look at that WhatsApp or that notification, and or even to cry or to forward the video or to. It's not enough. How does it change us and transform us? How are we forever different? What did it awaken within us? What did it arouse within us? What did it transform within us? Where is our kol kol How are we different Jews? How are we different Jews? And it can be measured in so many different ways. It can be measured by your bank account. What will your bank statement say? When your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will pour through your bank statements. I'm not saying they will or they can, but in theory. If they would pour through your bank statements after October 7th, what will they find? How many contributions and donations, how many efforts, how many times did you respond when there was need for tactical gear or vests or helmets or food or relief or mental health support? What will your calendar say? Where were you? What were you doing? Did you make the time? Did you stay for the Tehillim? What will it all say about us? What was our kol kol What will our lives look like? Did we take on certain Kabbalah, certain practices? I started doing X. I really worked hard on why. I was recognizably, measurably different after October 7th. You know, before October 7th, they would get angry and be outraged about everything. But afterwards, they had perspective and scope. They reframed everything in life. They saw what was important and what were priorities. And they were a different person. They were patient and kind and peaceful and looking for common ground and not looking to be outraged and angry about everything. Maybe maybe we'll have shalom in the world if we could have shalom in our bias in our marriage and with our children and with friends and with family and with colleagues and in partners and in life. Again, there are a million examples I could give of different things we can work on, but our call has to be the Kol Yaakov, the Kol Yaakov. So let me read to you some emails and we'll get back to Rev. Druk's piece. Hi, Rabbi Goldberg. My husband and I are serving as a couple on campus, in a certain campus, in a certain community. I never really know when it's appropriate to share my story. Sometimes I feel like it's so intense, it overwhelms people, but I want to share with you Listening to weekly Muna share, I feel like it might be a story of a Muna. We served in a small community, which is a posh community of traditional Jews in a certain place, but very few observant families. Really sweet, warm community. We arrived in the second lockdown of the pandemic and bought a used car during the fourth month we were there. I was eight months pregnant with our fourth child. I was driving by myself up the motorway to collect some cake and pizza for the kosher shops when the car completely shut down in the middle of the middle lane. I tried restarting the car, shifting gears, but nothing helped. I lowered my window to yell for help all within maybe the 60 to 90 seconds I had before I knew someone was going to hit me from behind. You can't imagine. The car shuts down. You can't get it started. You're in the middle of a highway. Cars are whizzing by and coming up in the rearview mirror and you're helpless. Nothing you can do. I got nervous just reading this email. Yeah. I kept watching the rearview mirror and saw one car swerve out to the side and it didn't hit me. And as corny as it sounds, I started saying Shema Yisrael because I thought this was it. I blacked out and I remember vague scenes from the medics that put me in the ambulance. I woke up in the hospital to make a long story short. Baruch Hashem, the baby was fine. They were monitoring her. I had a small puncture in my spleen. It healed itself and bruising in a sore back. My husband looked at the pictures of the car in the car seats after the accident for the police report. And the car was crushed like an accordion. Baruch Hashem, there was no one else in the car with me. Didn't look like the airbags deployed from the pictures anyway. I was someone of Amuna before the accident. And I was shaken by the accident and went around thinking, how am I alive? Why did Hashem choose to save me? And now after the accident, I know I have full faith that Hashem wants me to continue on my journey through life, to fulfill my mission, to raise my family, to continue my avodas HaKodesh. But during that moment, would that be Amunah? Was I accepting the fact that Hashem had decided this might be the end? It wasn't. So now it's obvious to me, I have Amunah, I'm still miraculously here. But before I also had Amunah, Hashem does everything for a reason. A lot of the stories you share are ones where Amunah has a critical moment. And I wonder if there is an Amunah moment in there. And I think there is one. And I think it's a... It's a powerful email to me because a lot of people could live those moments and say, Where is Hashem? And why me? The car had to break down. I had to get hit from behind. I had to puncture my spleen. I had to be in an ambulance and hospitalized. Why me? And where is Hashem? There's two ways that we can see things. I spoke about it last Shabbos. It might be the article for this week. I'll see how much time I have to write something else. But Yosef HaTzadik, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Zechron Lavracha talked about as introducing us to the concept of the cognitive reframing that's used today in cognitive therapy. Reframing the same picture, but put a new frame around it. When you put a new frame around the same picture, you see it differently. And you know how we think impacts how we feel. How we feel impacts how we behave and how we respond. And when we put a new frame, we can see that same old tired picture in a new light. And the picture that made us feel one way, we can feel different. We can see it differently by putting a new frame around it. Yosef saw the same picture as his brothers, how he was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery and abandoned for 22 years, but he put a different frame around it, that Hashem had done so for a mission. And instead of looking back with negative energy and negative feelings of the past, that new frame gave him a positive perspective on his future. And I spoke about on Shabbos, the mother of one of those hostages who could have heroically been welcomed home and instead was accidentally shot and killed by one of our own, but she put a different frame around it and she invited those soldiers to come give her a hug and sent her love and talked about it being for a purpose and she put a new frame and all of us could put a frame around that picture. And I think these emails are another example. Rabbeinu Bachaya writes in Eshar Abitachon, Rabbeinu Bahaya writes that Emuna is the frame we put around every picture. The picture could be a glorious picture of a simcha, it could be a picture of your promotion at work. It could be a picture of breaking through with prosperity. It could be a picture of your lab report and how wonderful everything is. And you put the frame of Amuna. Thank you, Hashem. It wasn't random. It wasn't chance. And I don't deserve all the credit. There's a frame of Amuna. And it could be a picture of a car accident. It could be a picture of a bad lab report. It could be a picture of getting fired or the person breaking up with you, or the shirk not working out, and you could still put a picture of frame of emuna and bitachon and Dveikos around even such a picture. It's what Yosef Atzadik did, it's what the mother, it's what the mother did, and it's what these emails. This young woman who wrote me, that, wrote me that email, wrote us, not me, wrote us that email, she's putting the frame of, I was in this car accident, Baruch Hashem, the baby's okay, and I was okay, but she doesn't put the frame of bitterness and resentment, and why me, and where was Hashem, and why did I have to go through that? It's thank you, Hashem, and it's a new lease on life, and I'm still here for a reason, and I have a lot of work to do. What a frame! I want to go to that framing store. Is that Michael's? Where, where can you get such a frame? That's the only f- store I know to get frames. So. Amazon, where can you order such a frame? You know where you order such a frame? Living with Emuna, Rabbeinu B'cha Sharabi B'Tachon, the countless Emuna email, WhatsApp, groups, Svarim, books, and so on couple more emails quickly and then back to the text because the Amunahs are powerful as the Torah. Uh, it, to see people living it, practicing it, and painting a picture for us how we can too, it's powerful. And these next two are unbelievable. I want to thank you for the Amunah Shirim. blah, 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 blah. I'm not one to write the rabbi, blah, blah, blah. Um, only because during the Shirim you say send letters, I want to express the car stove and share the story with you, probably which wouldn't have happened without the Shirim. One day when I was driving, today is brought to you by car accidents. One day when I was driving, I was stopped at a stop sign and happening, nothing is by chance, to be listening to the Amunashir, when someone hit my car from behind. First I was annoyed, because this is annoying and inconvenient. I'll have to get the car fixed, my ride home was going to take longer than expected, and then I realized, I'm in the middle of listening to the Amunashir. And I said to myself, maybe this is what Hashem wants. This is what's supposed to happen. Let's see what adventure this takes me on. Right? One of the things that we talk about is when you live life, when you look through the windshield of emuna, not a windshield of bitterness and misery and resentment and anger. When you look through the windshield of emuna, you say, ooh, an adventure. Let's see. Let's see where this takes me next. I got out the car. The man, not Jewish, asked if we could settle between us and not go through insurance. I thought to myself, I want to be nice. But I don't want it to take advantage of me. I need to do my heshtadlis. So I said, let's get a police report and be happy to settle it without insurance afterwards. After the police report, we went our separate ways. Over the next couple of days, I got a few different quotes from local body shops to fix the car. Various body shops said it would take four days to fix the car. We'd need a rental car while it was being repaired. I shared the estimates with him, including the cost of the rental. He was very upset about how much it was going to cost. He said I was trying to take advantage of him. I reminded him I was being kind. I could have just gone through insurance. He apologized and requested I use a body shop that he had used and located near where he lives. I did my independent research and it was a reputable body shop. This man works as part of the ambassador's office for the Bahamas. Interesting. On the one hand, the body shop was a 30-minute drive from my house. At one hour round trip. It was inconvenient to go. On the other hand, with everything going on in the world, I thought to myself, maybe this is what Hashem wants. I can make a Kiddush Hashem. The downside is I'd lose an hour plus of my time. I agreed I would go. I met him at the body shop he requested. The body shop charged much less and would fix the car the same day. I agreed to go to the body shop and asked this man how I should get to work after I drop off the car. I thought he would say he would pay for an Uber or a car service. Instead, to my surprise, he said he would drive me. 45 minutes out of his way. I would never tell any child of mine or lady to get in a car with a stranger, though for myself I felt he wasn't going to try to hurt me. A few weeks later, I was called by the auto body shop that the piece was in. I should bring in my car. I brought the car the next day at 8 a.m. and called the man. I gave him an out. I said if he's busy, I could take an Uber. He told me he'd be there in 10 minutes to pick me up. First 15 minutes of the car, he was telling me about his values, his views of materialism, about his kids, asking about mine. Then he started telling me he's a Seventh-day Adventist. He continues he's getting more from by not going to restaurants on the Sabbath. He's praying each day to the God of Abraham. He asked me what I know about Jesus. I responded, I know he was a Jew. Then he asked me, I thought, I, we Jews, are the chosen people. Thanks to other Shurim from you, I felt I had good responses. I responded to him with a question. your religion, do people look up to the priest? He responded, "Yes." I asked him, "Is that because the priest is a man of high standards, morals, and leads by example to be a role model?" He said, "Yes." I asked him if the priest was better than everyone else in the congregation. He said, "No." So I said, "We, the Jewish people, are a nation of priests. We were chosen to be a nation of priests to be a people of high moral standards, to be role models." I asked him if he could imagine how much better the world would be if all the nations viewed themselves with the same responsibility. He seemed impressed. It was nothing he had heard before. After more talk, I asked him, "I, t- I asked him that I don't believe there are many Jews in the Bahamas. Has he ever met a Jew before?" He responded I was the first Jew he ever met. This was the reason he wanted to drive me. He had questions that he wanted to ask someone but didn't feel comfortable to ask anyone he thought he could ask me. As we pulled up to work and I'm about to step out, I felt he pulled a script from Malkit and started giving me and my family blessings of success and happiness and said it was a pleasure to meet me. As I walked away I thought to myself, this is the reason Hashem wanted me to go through this journey. Maybe there's more to it and He'll call me back one day. If you have any feedback, or advice? I'd love to always hear. Blah 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 blah. Sheer blah 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 blah. So he said he understood, right? So you could you could look at the picture. I was just hit by behind, hit from behind, fender bender. I got to go to the shop. It's an hour out of the way. I'm going to be without my car. Or you could put the frame around the picture that says, "Ooh, an adventure." Let's see where it goes. Let's see why this happened. Sometimes we get an answer. Sometimes we don't. In this case, the man chose through that frame to see he had a chance to make a Kiddush Hashem. Can you put a value on a Kiddush Hashem? Is there a time that's worth spending on Kiddush Hashem? Kiddush Hashem in today's world, growing anti-Semites and the Jewish brand, taking a hit, and you have the chance to make a Kiddush Hashem? Who knows the trickle down? Who knows this man from the Bahamas? How else it gets spread and so on. Last email, then the learning. I saved the most powerful for last. Wow. My name is blank, and I'm from blank. I've been listening to Shiram regularly a few years. I'd like to share the Muni story with you, highlighting the impact the Amunah Shiram had on me, and how listening regularly really doesn't make a difference. Apologies in advance, it's quite long. It sounds like me at the beginning of a drasha. My husband and I got married a year and a half ago, and after living in such a place for nine months, we moved to Israel after Pesach to join a kollel. We set on our path to share our goals of doing our part for Kla Yisrael. A story begins on the first day of Slichos. My husband was riding his electric bike to Kolol through a valley in a certain community in Israel when he was attacked by hyenas. <coughs> <coughs> I, did you know there were hyenas no. near Yerushalayim? No. He called me straight away, not remembering exactly what happened, but somehow waking up after around 15 minutes covered in blood, 200 meters from where he remembered last being. After visiting the local doctor's clinic, due to the possibility of a concussion and memory loss, we were advised to go to a different clinic, sent to the emergency room for a CT scan to make sure all was okay. You ready? To cut a long story short, we were asked to stay overnight in the hospital. Doctors said something they weren't happy about in the CT scan. Following meetings with different medical professionals and an MRI at 4.30 a.m., we met with the head of the neurosurgery department to be told that my husband had a brain tumor. To say we were shocked is an understatement. He had no symptoms whatsoever of a brain tumor. Following a whirlwind of medical tests, over 20 rabies shots, meeting with medical askanam and rabbanam, our mothers flying out from wherever they were to be with us, we asked shali; we were encouraged to go ahead with the surgery just a week later, two days after Rosh Hashanah. My husband was released from the hospital three days later, a few days before Yom Kippur. As you can imagine, it was a surreal Yom Kippur, experienced overwhelming gratitude to Hashem for a successful resection, resection surgery, and my husband being unable to fast on Yom Kippur without even relying on minimal shirin for the first time in his life. Unfortunately, two weeks after surgery, we had to rush in an ambulance to the hospital. My husband had meningitis, needing emergency surgery to stop internal bleeding in the brain and remove part of his skull bone that had become infected. He ended up needing to be in the hospital over two weeks following the surgery to fight the light deafening meningitis infection. This is where we were when the incomprehensible events of October seventh took place. Struggling to cope with our own reality whilst hearing the horrific news compounded our feeling of devastation and overwhelm. To add another moment of Ashgach Pratis, my husband's cousin, listen to this story, which was in a major Jewish magazine a few weeks ago. My husband's cousin was driving home in Yerushalayim, my husband's cousin was driving home in Jerusalem when two women standing on the side of the road as their car had broken down. He offered them a lift to the bus stop and while passing Area, one lady turned to the other and said, Oh, this is where Yehuda was attacked. This sounded familiar, and sure enough, these two ladies just happened to be two of the amazing nurses who looked after my husband in the neurosurgery ward. Of all the people to give a lift to, and of all the people to offer a lift, what are the chances it would be my husband's cousin and these nurses who cared for him? A clear indication that Hashem runs the world. I strongly feel that without the foundation that learning about Amun has given me, I would have fallen apart during this time. Believe me, I've definitely been struggling. I haven't included the details of a story that are truly traumatic, but I shudder to think of how, indeed, if I would have been able to cope without the lessons I learned and internalized from the Shirim, I wear a ring every day, she says. I wear a ring every day. I don't know where you order the frame, and I'm not sure where you order the ring, but I ring or wear a ring every day that says, Ain Ode Milvado. There is no one but Hashem. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the neurosurgeon's office, hearing that my husband had a brain tumor, and literally feeling my world collapse. Looking at my hand and my finger and seeing the reminder there's no one else but Hashem running our lives. And the doctors, medical professionals, and even the hyenas themselves are just shlichim, their agents of Hashem, kept me going. The doctors, the nurses, and the hyenas are all agents of Hashem. She shows other challenges. The Hashkacha process in our story astounds those around us every day. If my husband hadn't taken that specific route to yeshiva, which he'd only discovered from a friend who'd only joined the kolol a couple of weeks beforehand, he wouldn't have been attacked by hyenas, which never have been known to attack humans in Yerushalayim before or since the incident. We wouldn't have been ref- referred to a CT scan. We wouldn't have discovered my husband had a brain tumor. Quite possibly until he was experiencing symptoms, which often is indicative of a large late stage tumor and much riskier potential outcome. Baruch Hashem, we've seen firsthand how Hashem runs our lives, turning something seemingly terrible into the biggest bracha we could have ever imagined. If this realization doesn't boost our Amunah, I can't imagine what will. This isn't one of those amazing stories where we can see how Amunah had a direct impact on the outcome. We're still very much only in the beginning of the journey. But this is a true account of how having Amunah muscles ready can carry us through any given circumstance, situation. After all, it's all from him. I'm not going to give you his name. She gives it to me, but please continue to daven in her tfilos. that she should have a speedy and complete refuah shlema. I hope the hyenas are okay. I don't have their name. I don't have their names to daven for them. But again, she could say, why did he need a brain tumor? Why did they need to be hyenas? Why did he take that route? Why did he have to have meningitis? But she puts the frame around the picture. The picture is not going to change. The reality is the hyenas were there. The reality is the brain tumor was there. The reality is the meningitis came. It's all the frame that you put around it. And these are examples of emails. That's why I read them as much as we learn this text. Because they are real, living, practical examples for us. When the picture gets not so happy and good for us, that we have the frame that we could put around it, and that frame have the ring that you can spin on your finger. Ainod Melvado sitting in that office, waiting for those results, going through that challenging circumstance, waiting by the phone. Have that ring. Where's that? Can we produce? Is Alana here? Maybe we need to put our logo on a ring, make a little money for the shul. Ode Melvado rings, Ainod Melvado cups, and turn the page. Notebooks and our hats and our whole uh, merch of Emuna. Emuna merch. So we're in those moments. Ain't Odmavado. od Odmavado, my good friend Big Ben on his steering wheel has Kiatai Madi. Hashem you're with me. Madi, wherever you are. On his steering wheel, I get the picture every morning. On his way to the daff in the dark. Madi, which is good. The sticker reminds him, and then he reminds me. Kiatai Ma Hashem, you're with me. I don't fear anything. I could walk through the valley of hyenas. It's a new translation of <laughs> I can walk through the valley of hyenas and I fear no evil. Because you're with me. Put it on bumper stickers and billboards and rings and mirrors and steering wheels and wherever you need to. Because that is the message. We are on the second side of this mimer, the Sicha of Rav Druk, About the Kol Kol Yaakov and how Chazal understood when Yitzchak says it's incompatible. It's either or. It can't be end. We can't be proclaiming our kol Yaakov. We can't be proud, practicing Jews. And Yaday Esav, the hands of Asov will be strong. It's either or. If the hands of Esav are strong. It's because we look, need to look in the mirror and check. Is a kol kol Yaakov? Is our voice, the proud, strong voice of Yaakov? V'chein Mavuar, the Chazal Sanhedrin. One, two, three, four, the fifth paragraph down. This also appears in the Gemara Sanhedrin, of kufches, Oman Bay's. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says <laughs> she caused man she heard a marble nest Noah mishbach to betashmashamita. Perish Rashi. Perish as Noah she atamum mishem tekev and she olam shorib betzar. As I'm muchuiv adam l'shtateiv betzar. V'asor l'olomar shalom alai nafshi. Ain adam yachol lefreshman at zibor. Rav Druck is emphasizing again. Nobody can say, I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I have the same head count, I feel safe and secure. If there's Kla Yisrael and tsar, if the Jewish people are in a time of crisis and difficulty, then we're all in a time of crisis and difficulty. If the left hand is bruised or broken, the right hand doesn't say, I'm good. My fingers are working, elbows working, bones are all whole. The right hand doesn't say, I'm good. If the left hand's broken, the right hand says, Ouch, we're broken. We're hurt. We're in pain. All of Kla Yisrael, we are one people. We are one body. We're one whole. And if part are hurting, we're all hurting, and we have to be. We can't be potash manat A person cannot separate or be apart. And so we see that the whole time they were in the te- teva, Noah and his family were in the ark, and they refrained, they abstained from intimate relations because it was inappropriate. While the world was being flooded and destroyed, when there was a hard reset being pressed on the world, that they're going to be in the teva, enjoying, experiencing pleasure would be inappropriate. So they abstained, and they refrained, and we 've spoken about the examples of the people who say, "While this war is going on, no chocolate, I'm taking away one of my pillows i 'm going to hold i 'm no manicures i 'm going to hold off on something. Someone here right now changed their schedule and gave up something they love to be at the Amunashir. happens to be she gave up exercise now, most of us would be like i 'll take one for the team i 'll go to shear, one less exercise. This person loves exercise it 's one of those strange people likes exercise. And gave up something she craves and loves cause she said, Right now, during this war, I gotta show up part of the front line, our front line, and Munashir, our front line, finishing Tehillim afterwards, our front line is showing up. No soldier can call in and say, I'm tired, I need a break, I'm out, I'm done, I disagree, but I really wanna be doing something else. I don't have that luxury. They can't take off their boots. They don't have a normal night's sleep. They haven't had a normal meal. They don't have that luxury and neither can we. That was Noah on the table that the Gemara in Sanhedrin says. This is a precedent. When the world around us is being reset with a flood, when there's a flood of anti-Semitism and a flood of hate and a flood of missiles and a flood of loss, we can't be in our little teva. We can't be in our little ark, our little cocoon, protected happy and gleeful and indifferent to the pain around us and it 's not that we 're in a table we 're in the same war. We are the targets of the same enemies why isn 't this war over? Every day this war continues, says Rav Druk, is not because we don't have enough soldiers, or we ran out of ammunition, or because there are more tunnels, or because there are more ambushes, or because the UN or other countries are holding us back. That's not why this war is not over. We need to live simultaneously. When you live and you look at the world through a windshield, through the glasses of Amuna, then there is the physical world and the metaphysical world. You know, we're all obsessed and consumed with the news, but the news only describes the physical world. It's only giving you the data, the statistics, the update. It's only giving you the alert and the alarm over everything in the physical world. Fighting in the north of Gaza, in the south of Gaza, and this community. And we surround them. We took over this tunnel. And we sent in the canines. And can you believe a car can drive through the tunnel? And up north, and these missiles were launched. And here's what's happening. And a drone was shut down. And you got the in Yemen, and you got the the carrier... All the news and all the alerts and all the updates is only giving us a perspective. It's only telling us what's going on, a window into the physical war and the physical world and its truth and it's important and stay informed and care and be motivated and move to daven from it. But that's only a small part of the picture. There's a much bigger picture going on. We as believing Jews believe that what happens in the physical world is a shadow and it's a reflection of the metaphysical world. What's happening down here is because of what the parallel that's happening up there. So if there's a war still going on down here, it's because the Yadaimide Esav energy in the world is so strong and it needs to be offset by a prouder and bolder and stronger kol kol Yaakov, voice of Yaakov. There's a war, there's tension, there's conflict physically. And there's a war, there's a tension, there's a conflict metaphysically. Metaphysically, there are energies. And metaphysically, there are ideals and ideologies that are at war. This is not just physical war. This is a war of ideologies, a war of energies. This is a metaphysical war. This is a battle of the cosmos. And that's what we need to be focused on in our battlefront. And our contribution to this conflict and to this war. To being counted and to showing up. We know, Chazal tell us, that there's an institution of anti-Semitism. Ever since Esav and Yaakov, two twin brothers, ever since that original conflict, Esav, Sone, Yakov, es, Yaakov, the offspring and progeny of Esav, who are the offspring and progeny of Esav are? Edom. Edom. The Gullus of Edom. And who is Edom? Christendom. Rome. And what's Rome? Rome, that Rome is the, 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 um, the Gullus, the exile of Rome, and who are the offspring of Rome? Christendom, Christianity, which we forget because there was supposedly some progress and change. But for two millennia and longer, essentially since it began, Christianity was responsible for persecution, oppression, and mass murder of Jews. I posted yesterday because I was so upset about it. Doesn't do anything, but makes me feel better when I write something. So I posted yesterday. I think the Pope is egregiously irresponsible with his words and his moral equivalence of Israel's war. AOC, yeah. Yemach Shema, Macha and CNN having a priest on on December twenty fifth, calling Jesus a Palestinian and vilifying Israel, given Christianity's history of genocide against Jews, nothing short, the responsibility to be particularly accurate and to stand up for Israel at this time, where are our Christian friends? To stand up for Israel, to stand up for Jews, to try to repair and atone for their mistakes of the past and not repeat it now and be responsible with their words because Esau, Son, Esiachov, of Son, Yaakov, and many and some have, and we could and should be very grateful to them, in fact, I don't know who they are. When I wrote this on Twitter yesterday, a non-Jewish Jewish woman wrote, I'm a Christian, and absolutely it's wrong, and I stand with Israel, and, well, and I'm grateful. We should be grateful, and we should thank and reward and appreciate those who are, and those who are getting it right. Esav, Sone is Yaakov. Esav is Rome, Rome is Christendom. And for two millennia, they, including in the Holocaust, in which they were complicit, as recent as the Holocaust, and while there was supposed to be a change and a shift, it seems to me a setback, And there should be a clarification. And then, of course, we have Yishmael and the offspring of Yishmael and Yishmael's battle with Yitzchak and the battle between the offspring of Yishmael and the offspring of Yitzchak. And Yishmael is described as pera-adam, a wild beast of a person. A pera-adam, barbaric, a barbaric animal people. Pera-adam, Rav Hirsch writes, it doesn't say adam-pereh. Normally you have the noun and the adjective. A person who's handsome, person who's smart, a person who's athletic. It says para adam because you know when it comes to yishmal it says refresh, para is the noun. Pera is the noun. It's not an adjective. Being a wild, barbaric, inhuman, I don't even know there are words to describe. Those aren't adjectives. That's the noun of who they are. And if you doubted that, and if you wanted to label that Islamophobic or hateful rhetoric, then read the accounts of October 7th. These are not human beings. Human beings are incapable. Well, let me rephrase that. Human beings who have a Tselem alokim, who have a godly soul, are incapable of the brutal, barbaric animal acts that they did, which I do not need to recount right now. That's Yishmael. That's what we're up against. Esau, Son, Yaakov. Yishmael. That's what we're up against. So don't live life only on this plane. Don't live life down here. Live it also down here. Also down here that you read the news and consume the news and know the news or informed by the news, advocate, write letters. Absolutely. If I have time, the other article I'll write is about that. We're not doing a good enough job rewarding and appreciating our friends, elected officials, celebrities, people of power, of notoriety, of influence. We're not doing a good enough job punishing those getting it wrong and rewarding getting it right, we're not doing a good enough job. We're not. We're not. We have to do better. We have to do better. And we have to be engaged and work on it all down here. But don't work on it all down here where you think this is where it's all happening. That's just hishtadlas. If you're sick, you have to go to the doctor. But did you get better or not? That wasn't the doctor. That's not the medicine. That's him. But he says that part of appealing to him is you got to go to the doctor. You can't not take the medicine but expect to get better. You can't not go to the doctor and expect to get better. We live in a world that Hashem said, you got to go to the doctor, you got to take the medicine, but know that the medicine and the doctor, they're just, they're just pawns in my hand. I'm pulling the strings. And the same is true when it comes to this war and our efforts, when it comes to everything geopolitical. Yeah, there's eshtadlis, there are efforts. You got to write letters. If you want to know who to write a letter to, get on your status. She'll tell you every five minutes who to write the next letter to. You got to write letters. You have to write letters. In protest, you got to write letters equally important of thanks, don't take for granted. Oh, that congressman gets it. Who needs to thank him? You need to thank him. You know why? Because his office is getting at a ratio of 100 to 1 letters angry at him for what he's doing versus thanking him. And you know what that does to the staff of that congressman? You know what that does to the campaign chair who's worried about his getting reelected. So you've got to write letters to say thank you, not just to protest. And we have to, li- we have to live down here, but we also have to live up here. Chevre, come with me. We've got to go up. We've got to climb higher. We have to live up here. Down here, it's the elected officials. Down here, it's administrations. Down here, it's the UN. Down here, it's sending money. Down here, it's getting informed of the news. But we got to live up here. Up here, it's Esav against Yaakov. Up here, it's Yishmael against Yitzchak. Up here, it's good against evil. Up here, it's the Kol Kol Yaakov against the Yidaim de Esav. And we got to live up there too. We gotta see Borakhu, we gotta see these energies at work, we gotta see ideologies and a conflict of good and evil. Don't just live down here. Climb higher. Also down here, like Yaakov taught us. Sula mutzov you gotta have your feet firmly planted, but your head up in the heavens. We can and must live in both places simultaneously. It's what it means to be a Jew. It's to live here on earth, to operate here on earth, to take initiative here on earth but simultaneously be trying to get a glimpse and a vision from the heavens to go with our spiritual drone, spiritual drone to see from up there what's happening down here, to see what, this is not just people fighting. These aren't just numbers. These aren't statistics. There's something bigger going on. Kalvachomer, the Kol Kol Yaakov, and Adayin Lodzakeh Gedola Umara, and of the Yedai Midei Esav, we're waking up to hear more soldiers Oh, more soldiers are killed, if that's what we wake up to, it's because Za-ka gedola umara. our prayer is not loud enough, heartfelt enough, passionate enough. When the Jewish people left Egypt and the Egyptians were pursuing us, we cried out to Hashem, we grabbed on to the umnas of our forefathers, vizoi umnas avosenu. What does it mean, umnas? This is the, what's the word, umnas? No, the umnas the is the craft, the hobby, the craft, the expertise, the passion, the project of our forefathers. What was it? What did they teach us? What did they hand off to us? Lizok u'lehispalel el Hashem. They taught us that You don't just go to a doctor, you also cry out to Hashem. You don't just go to work and try to earn more money, you also cry out to Hashem. You don't just try to have the baby, you also call out and cry to Hashem. They taught us, they handed us that formula, those keys, they gave us that precedent and that model, that you can try all you want down here, but if all you're doing is engaging and trying down here, you're fighting, you're battling, you're going to a doctor, you're working. If all you're doing is operating down here, you won't succeed. We have to do what we have to do down here, but all while pouring our heart out up there. That's what they gave us. That's what they taught us. That's what Esther Amalka, Esther Amalka, Hanukkah is in the rearview mirror, coming up, Tu Beshvat. Purim Katan, Purim. Purim's coming up. Start thinking about your Mishloach Manos. And now start thinking about toning them down and sending the money to Israel instead. Start thinking about your Mishloach Manos. So Mishloach Manos, Purim. What happens on Purim? Shushon, the Jewish people are in Haman, Ahverra they 're in their target, in their scope, wants to destroy, annihilate, exterminate the Jewish people, exterminate the Jewish people. you know, thanks to AI, Hamas just yesterday re- released a video using AI as a little fake documentary of the murder of Bibi Netanyahu. They put it out it's scary, it looks so real because AI can make it at the end it says brought to you by haman by haman it 's Hamas Haman. They go together. That's who they are. They're part of the same genealogy, the same family. I think. I saw that quickly. I think I saw it say that brought to you by. So what happened in that story? Haman and want to eliminate, exterminate the Jewish people. Annihilate. And what do Esther and Mordechai do? They concoct a plan that includes lobbying, letter writing, advocating, make a party, get on Achashverosh's good side, give him a few lachaims, and then you're going to ask him. Is that all they do? That's what you got to do down here. Down here make three parties, earn favor, get a chashverosh, positioned well, you know, give him some, uh, give him some, uh, some l'chaims, you got to advocate, lobby, fight, argue, ask, that's all down here. But what really was the game changer? What shifts the entire story? What shifts the entire story, he continues, is, alai vi yamim. Esther calls Mordechai and says, get the message out, send out an email, constant contact, Phone tree, put it online social media, tell everyone, tsumu alai, fast for three days. Leich Kenosis Kol Yehudim. Go and gather all the Jewish people. We can no longer be divided. For judicial reform, against judicial reform. Haredi, Chiloni Tzioni. Forget about all that. Who cares about any of that? None of that will matter if we're all six feet under. None of that will matter if we're all burning in the crematoria. None of that mattered in the Holocaust. None of that matters now. Put that all aside. Lich kenos, Kola Yehudim, Esther says. Go gather with unity, everybody. Set aside the differences, find the commonality, our common destiny, our common history, our common enemy. Lich kenos, kola Yehudim, go get everybody, and sumu alai and fast for me. Because whether I'll be successful when I write the letter, when I make the meeting, when I go in and ask, whether it will work out or not, you know what it depends on? How hard you daven. How well you fast. How much you earn. It's not down here. Come, we got to go up there. Both. We're traveling on two highways simultaneously. We've got to be in both places at the same time. Mordechai. Zaak, zaaka, gedola, umara. And Mordechai let out a primordial scream. A great, bitter, and resonant scream. Because they knew and they understood. Yes, the meeting, yes, the lobbying, yes, the advocacy, yes, 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 but all of that without that, Gurnish Talfen. Because Lev Malacham at Hashem. Because the heart of kings, the heart of congressmen, the heart of senators, the heart of presidents, the heart of prime ministers is all in the hands of Hashem. So, yes, we have to go through our motions, we have to make our effort, we have to take our initiative down here in whatever individual issue we have in life or collectively what our people are going through. But all of that has to be informed and animated and inspired and against the backdrop of what's going on up there. We have to live and see both simultaneously. We have to be in both places. We have to be informed on both parts. We have to be fighting both fights. We have to be battling. Because if the Yedai, Midei, Esav are still winning, and they're not winning, we are winning this war by a large margin. And we will finish them off. Mir it will be complete. Yes. But every soldier, I'll end with this, Baruch Hashem, with great pride, we have lots of nephews and cousins, like all of you, serving right now in the IDF. Woke up today to a picture of my nephew, my sister's son, in Gaza, in his uniform. He's proud, he's proud, he looks amazing. But that backdrop is scary. Standing against a backdrop of a bombed out, destroyed place, and we know the threats that loom all over it. We have tremendous pride. And every day that we wake up, and you see the names and the faces, and you don't know them, you exhale a little bit. And if you're like me, then every day you feel horrifically guilty and beat yourself up. Why did I exhale? It's not my nephew, but it's somebody's nephew. It's not my son or grandson, but it's somebody's son or grandson. So how could we exhale? That's how we have to feel about every one of these boys. Every one of these boys. And I don't understand Hashem's plan, but it's like He said, I'm only going to find the most handsome, the most charismatic the ones that they have the most amazing things to say at each of their funerals. I'm only going to take the best. And each one is somebody's nephew, someone's son, someone's grandson, someone's brother, someone's uncle. And so we can't exhale. The power that has to inform the passion of our tefillos, it can't get old. I know fatigue is setting in. How many times can you finish the hill? How many times can you be asked to buy a next vest or boots or socks how many barbecues can you sponsor? How many gatherings and rallies can you have? How many times can you hear the next person? The Shabbos, one of the shirut Lumi from another community is going to be here. Her sister was murdered at the rave on October 7th. So she asked, can she share a few words? How many stories do we need to... You can't have fatigue set in. How can fatigue set in? Halila, God forbid, a billion times, if this was our loved one, would we ever grow tired of the grief of the mourning of the sadness of telling their story? So that has to be the level of tzaka, gedola, umara. When Mordechai looked and he saw, we're about to get annihilated. We could be destroyed. That was not theoretical. It wasn't abstract. It wasn't for someone else. And that has to be the intensity. The intensity of our tfila has to remain. They can't tire. The soldiers in the front line don't have the luxury of getting tired. Fatigue can't set in for them. And fatigue can't set in for us. So we went a little bit over time. I apologize Fatigue can't set in. We have to continue. So keep doing it down here. Yecheved status. Be informed where you write letters, what you do, what's the latest. Also tremendous inspiration. If you want to know who to write letters to and then you want to see something that will make you cry and be inspired, touched, and hopefully hopeful. Also her status is wonderful. Know who to write letters to, but you got to write letters to him. Every day the letter to him. That's the most important lobbying meeting you have every day. Every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Stay a little bit longer. Let's lobby together. Tehillim should be a great day. Amir Tashem for Am Yisrael.